with a little help, God's going to help us tonight and that he's going to say what he would have me to say. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to be reading tonight in the book of Matthew chapter number 14. We're going to take our text starting in verse number 22. Matthew 14 and 22. Give you a moment to turn there. You know, in um, a couple weeks ago, just uh, praying for the youth service, uh, actually been several weeks ago, and just uh, seeking God's direction for that service, uh, the Lord laid this word on my heart, and as I was preparing for it, um, Pastor hadn't yet asked me to preach, but I knew his schedule in the coming weeks so I could see the headlights, and uh, so, and, you know, it's... I just kind of began, you know, thinking about that, and, and, and as I was preparing this message, um, I really felt impressed upon that, that this was the message that I was to uh, bring to the church uh, when the opportunity arose, and so um, I hope tonight that I can convey what's in my heart and what I believe the Lord uh, put in my spirit. Uh, Matthew 14, beginning verse number twenty. Two, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 24. It says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? If I can, for just a few minutes tonight, I want to talk, speak on this thought. Stepping out with the blinders on. Stepping out with the blinders on. If you would, pray with me. Father, we just thank you for this night. God, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. God, to feel your spirit. God, to hear you speak. To worship you, to praise you. God, we come tonight, Lord, expecting a word from the throne, expecting to get into your presence, God, for that's why we come. We don't come for anything else. We don't come for a show. We don't come for a motivational speech. God, we come to get in your presence, and that's what we long for tonight. God, we just pray that you would anoint this service as you have already, you're already here. Your presence has already been made known. You've already spoken. God, we just ask you that you would continue to have your way tonight. God, pray that you would anoint this word, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you'd anoint me to speak for you. God, that you would touch hearts and lives here tonight. God, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen this body to go forward. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You know, in... Uh, Preparing this and, and, and thinking of a title, there's many things that come to mind. Um, but settling on this, stepping out with the blinders on. And, uh, you know, it, it, it seems kind of confusing. I'm sure that 
There's been many messages out there from Pentecostal preachers or other preachers that, of the sort that say, take the blinders off or step, get in the boat. You know, you know, if you've been in Pentecost long enough or been around a Pentecostal church seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost, somebody walks by and pray and says, stand up. The next person walks by and says, kneel down. And somebody says, lift your hands, put your hands down, say this, say that. You know, but uh, so I don't want to be uh, contradicting tonight, but I believe that uh, in a few moments we're going to make sense of this. But uh, stepping out, here we read yet again one of Peter's most eager moments. We refer to it as zealous, eager, enthusiastic. How many of you know what zealous is? Or have you ever been eager about something, enthusiastic? Peter was saying, Jesus, if you bid me to come out on the waters... If it's you, bid me to come out there with you. Oftentimes in our walk with the Lord, we forget or often don't think about the fact that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful, that he knows everything. He knows the outcome. He knows how you're going to react. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're thinking. We get so caught up in our dreams and our ambitions and our plans that when we hit a bump in the road, it seems as if we get deflated. It knocks us down. It drains us for a time, and for a time it can incapacitate us. It is even more true of our ambitions to serve the Lord. We have dreams. We have aspirations of how our walk with God is going to look like. Is it just me? How many of you feel that way? We have, we have aspirations. We have, we, we have ideas of what our walk will look like. We, we have a visual in our head of how we're supposed to look in our walk how our prayer time will be, how our devotion time will be. Some of us have even made statements in prayer, in a move of God, of, of, of what we're going to do and all these things out of zealousness and, and, and all that, but, but oftentimes we don't keep. In all of those ideas and ambitions, when it doesn't look how we imagined it would, we start to think that we aren't doing it right. And that God isn't pleased with you. If we're not careful, we'll begin to believe that lie and maybe it's not for you. It works for some people, but just not for you. If we're not careful, we'll begin to believe that. We'll begin to believe that the enemy will tell you, you can't be who you've imagined yourself to be. But I've got good news for you, you don't have to be. You don't have to live up to your ideas. You don't have to live up to your dreams and your ambitions. Or you don't have to live up to all of those requirements. The only requirement Christ gives to Peter and to us is simply to come. Tonight I want to focus on coming to Christ. His requirement for us is to come. His grace fills the gap. His mercy is new every morning. His grace is sufficient. And He is our pattern. Nothing else. Christ is our pattern. He's our building block. Peter says that Christ is the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2.7 reads, A cornerstone, he, he is the chief cornerstone. A, a cornerstone is the beginning of a foundation. One definition puts it like, like this. As the, as the first stone laid, it becomes the reference point for all other stones laid subsequent to it. Everything finds its definition in the one piece, the cornerstone. It is what the rest of the wall is plumbed off of. Christ being the first stone provides the very definition and basis of right and wrong. 
what is true and false. So Jesus defines our reality. He is more than a Sunday Savior. He is the lens in which and through which we filter everything in life through. So, you know, I've often said and I've often told myself that I'm my worst critic. I'm my, you know, you know people, they, they can put constraints on you and things like that, but I can promise you nobody's harder on Corey than Corey. You can ask my wife. You know, I have, I have ways of things I want, thing, I, can, I can see things done, I have way, I have expectations. My expectations of myself are high. You know, it's often said that we judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our best intentions. And oftentimes that's true. And I'm not saying for one moment that I haven't succumbed to that and, and that be true in my life. But I can say for the most part, you know, I, I, I criticize myself very heavily on how on how on a lot of things in life and I, and if I feel that somebody here tonight is the same way you know you criticize the way that you walk in God or and you 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 make mountains out of molehills and you you come up with all these things and the hell wants to tell you he wants to multiply those things in your mind where you feel like you failed you feel like you've fallen you feel like you aren't living up to the expectations but I want to tell you tonight, I can't clean myself up enough to make it. I can't do enough good things. You can't become a good enough person to be worthy. No, sir. No, ma'am. It is only the Spirit. It is the Spirit. I have to crucify the flesh and walk in the, in the Spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. In verse 1 it says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the Spirit and law, for the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned the sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You said, preacher, what's that mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. It says that the, the flesh was weak. The flesh could not uphold the law. No matter what they did, the flesh couldn't uphold the law. They couldn't be good enough. They couldn't earn their way. That's why they had to sacrifice animals. That's why they needed the blood of the lambs. And that's why we needed Christ. We in ourselves, the flesh, we can't be good enough. We don't have to be good enough. We're never going to be good enough. It says our righteousness is filthy rags. So you say, how do I live for God? How do I walk this walk? Paul tells us again in verse number 14, for it says, for as many as, a, as are led by the Spirit. And I'm sorry, let me back up. Verse number 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The flesh, you have to crucify. You have to put off the flesh and put on the Spirit. It's the decision that we make every single day. But if the Spirit of Him that has raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. Verse number 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's as we put on the Spirit. Thayer's definition of sons, you know, verse 14, it says they are the sons of God. There's many definitions of what that sons, that word son means in the Bible, but this one just really stuck out to me. 
It says the definition of sons used to describe those who are born again. And number two, it says those who God esteems as sons, who he loves, protects, and benefits above others. I want to be a son of God. I want to walk in his protection and his love. I want to be benefited above others. You know, I'm not, not exalting my flesh or anything like that, but I want, I want the benefits of walking with God. Amen. I want the benefits of being in his, in his kinship. I want the benefits of being his son. Just as Christ bore our sin in our place, we're to walk in his place on this earth. We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. You know, Sunday night was a perfect example of that. This parking lot was full of cars. That porta-cachet was full of boxes of food. And our worship leaders worshiping and singing. The presence of God was made real in those hearts and lives. There's many that passed through that may not have felt a thing. But I can promise you there's a many of them that did. Amen. That's what walking in the Spirit will do. It just overflows, it, and over, it, it, just, it just radiates from you, from the body, from this church, from you as a believer. To go in His stead by His Spirit. Every day I have a decision to make. Am I going to walk in the Spirit or am I going to walk in the flesh? You know, in those times of failures that you know, we feel that we failed God miserably and we have to earn our way back. How many of you ever felt that way? I know I've said it before. But, you know, in the times where we feel, we really feel like we've messed up. We really feel like, you know, we just didn't pray like we should have. We didn't, we didn't do this or we didn't do that or, you know, maybe we stumbled or something like that. But we, and you know, the devil will tell you that you got to earn your way back. You got to be good. You, you know, you got to do those things that you missed out on. You got to do them for so many days before God's going to move by his spirit again. No, that's not true. That's not it. It says, you know, the, the grace of God will find you where you are. I'm in no way saying that you're free to sin or break commitments or anything like that. This is not a license to sin. But I am here to tell you that when we do fall, Jesus is there to catch us when we do. Many times we are as ambitious as Peter was in our text. We see the Lord. We run after him in full force. Straight out of the Holy Ghost service. Straight out of a revival and straight out of a camp meeting. How many times have we as believers, we get in a move of God, whether it be service, whether it be a prayer meeting, whether it be revival, and we just, we're ready to go take on giants, amen? We're ready, we're walking out in the parking lot looking for three stones and a sling. We're ready to knock down the first Goliath that walks out. You know, it's, it's true, amen? How many of you felt that? I know it's not just me. You know, we, we've come out of those places like a racehorse out of the gate. Many times, we're as ambitious as Peter was in our text. You know, we, we, we run after him full force, and we give it all we got, like that racehorse out of the gate. I know many of you have seen a race. You know, have you seen a race before? Any type of race, whether it be running, swimming, a horse race, anything like that. You know, any professional race, if you've ever watched it, have you ever seen them take off out of the gate and about 20, 10 to 20 yards in, they just bow out out of exhaustion? They just say, they give up, they can't do it, they're too tired. They know. No, why is that so? They didn't just go to that race to give up. No, ma'am. No, sir. They went there to win. And, and we must walk this race to win. We must walk this life to win. 
But how do they not give up? How do they not give, give out in exhaustion? It's because they prepare for it. They've trained, they've prepared, they've conditioned their body for the race. They have disciplined themselves. We must do the same in our walk with God. We have to condition, we have to prepare and practice in order to become disciplined to make our prayer life, devotion, and walk with the Lord what we and what He desires it to be. If we don't condition ourselves, we will see this repetitious this repetitiousness of running out of zeal and collapsing under the weight of everything. We'll collapse at, the, at any moment under the pressure, under the load that we put ourselves in. I want us to focus for a moment on Peter's fall. We have to know why he fell. Why, why did Peter fall? I'm sure if I gave you opportunity, many people could, could give an ans- explanation, could give an answer to this question. But we have to know why he fell. What did Jesus say to him when he did fall? Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. Why did Jesus say that? I mean, after all, he stepped out of the boat. That's the biggest part, right? He stepped out, but Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. The Bible says in, in verse 29 of our text, and, he, and, and, and this is Jesus saying, and Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But verse number 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter, like many of us, started out strong. He started out right. We focus so much on what he did wrong that we forget what he did right. Peter was the only other person in Scripture ever recorded to ever walk on water besides Jesus. I mean, he, he, he's doing something right. He stepped out. The Bible says that he walked on water. Just like Peter, we come out of the gate blazing, ready to work, ready to walk in victory, ready to do anything he asks, but before you know it, we're drowning in our own demise. You know, uh, parenting is a funny thing. I, I was telling the youth, and, you know, they laugh. I'm, but, you know, Audrey, she loves to play, and she don't play with just one thing. And she don't play with anything for very long. But her room could be clean as a whistle, everything picked up, everything tidied in a place where it goes. And she decides she wants to play. And so she starts dragging toys out. In about 2.5 seconds, everything is out of the toy box, out of the drawers, clothes are off, out of the drawer, clothes are off the hangers, and it's a teetotal mess. And after five minutes of playing, she's bored. I'm bored. I don't have anything to play with. And then, heaven forbid, it comes time to clean up. I can't do it. It's too much. It wasn't too much when you drug it all out. That was the fun part. It wasn't too much dragging everything out of the drawer and clothes out of the drawers and all this stuff. You know, it it wasn't 
and all that was fun, but it wasn't too much then, but now it's too much. And oh man, it's like pulling teeth. I need help. She's getting a little bit better with it. <coughs> but she'll say, I need help. Can you help me? And, you know, Sister Haley, she'll help her for a minute or help her one time. And then the next time we go through this again and, you know, and then, and then she won't help her. And then she starts on me and I may help her this time. And the next time I won't help her, you know, and so she just goes to whoever she can that's going to have sympathy on her, you know, and pick up her mess. She even gets her, her big sister every now and then will give in and help her pick it up. But, but you know, in those times, she had all this fun. She played, she drug out all this stuff. But now it's time to get down to business. Now it's time to pick it up. And she feels overwhelmed and she feels she's drowning in the mess. How many times do we go through life chasing all these things, doing all these things, only to find ourselves like Audrey and like Peter, we're drowning in the mess that we've created. We need help from a Savior. Peter was in the same situation. He was drowning in fear. He cried, Jesus, save me. Audrey cried, please help me. But Jesus, uh, Peter cried, Jesus, save me. In our times of drowning, we must know where to turn to. Hebrews 12 and 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, I thought of another title for this message, and it's stepping out or stepping into focus. You know, but, you know, but stepping into focus, looking to Jesus. But, you know, as we round the corner and come, you know, close to the end, I want to focus for just a moment on how Peter was able to walk on the water. The first step was getting out of the boat. Many times we find ourselves confronted, comforted in our little boat of life. We're comfortable there. We're safe there. But all the while, we're not growing there. You know, uh, Brother Clendenin in the School of Christ, one of the key phrases that's quoted throughout the school is, if it's not growing, it's dying. If you cease to grow, you begin to die. That little baby, it's precious, and, you know, looking back on pictures of our girls and just seeing how little they were and missing those times and wishing, you know, you could go back in time for just a moment, but, but all the while realizing that if they didn't grow from that point, something would be wrong. The same is true in our walk with God. If we don't grow and we're stuck, we're going to begin to die. You can't stay in the same place for too long. You have to continue walking. You have to continue, continue looking to Jesus. You've got to continue on asking what he wants for more. You know, there's things that, that he may not put his finger on when you're a babe in Christ. But when you get six months, a year, two years into this thing, he may start dealing with things in your life. He may start putting his finger on things that, that he didn't deal with before, but now he's, he's asking of you. Now he's requiring those things. But that's called growing. That's how we grow. That's how we come into his likeness. You know, we, we have to keep going on. We have to keep going. But we're comfortable in our boat. We're safe. God did not save us to stick us on a boat and let us float through life. I believe he's calling us to step out of the boat and to put our trust in him. Peter's first action to success was stepping out. 
But his second, and I believe the most important step to his miracle, was looking to Jesus. Jesus bid him to come. And Peter did. He stepped out. He walked on water. It was not until he saw the wind that he got his mind off of Jesus and began to sink. You know, when, when he said, oh, you have little faith, we say, why did, why did he say, you know, Peter stepped out in faith. But I believe he said, come. Peter should have been able to walk on that word, walk in faith on that word that Jesus said, come. Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, told me to come, told me to walk out, told me to step out. And if he told me to do it, then I should be able to do it, right? It reminds me of the story in Mark 4 when Jesus calmed the sea. And it says, In the same day when the evening was come, this being Jesus, he said unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. In verse number 39, it said, And he arose and rebuked the wind. And we, we all, most of us know the story that when the, when the boat got into the middle of the sea, the storm come up, it began to rock the boat, the waves coming over the boat, all this stuff around this. Jesus was downstairs asleep in the bow of the boat, and they began to get scared, and they woke him up, shaking him, Master, we're, we're going to die, we're going to drown. Do you not care that we perish? That's what the Bible says. And Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, he calmed the wind, and then he turned and he addressed the disciples. And he said, oh, ye of little faith. There's that phrase again. Why did he say that? I believe it's because Jesus said, let us go to the other side. He didn't say let us sink in the middle of the ocean. He didn't say we're going to get stopped by the storm and we're going to have to swim to the banks. He didn't say that. He said, let us go to the other side. Many times we get our focus, we get our minds off of what Christ said, of the things that Christ done in our life, that we begin to look at everything around us and we begin to get fearful. We begin to get worried. We begin to think that we can't make it. But if we'll, if we'll just focus on what Christ said, on who he is, if we'll let him be our mark and let him be our God. Let him be our, our, our blueprint. We must remember that in our walk, our life, in our ministry, each one of you have a ministry. You can't go where Pastor Jacob can go. You can't go where Brother Torbert can go, but you go to work. You go to your family. You go to your friends. You may go, you may go in other places in life. You may preach a message somewhere. You may, talk, you may witness to a friend. But you have a ministry. But in those things, we must remember that we have to follow through with what, in order to succeed and to follow through with what we set out to do, we must keep our eyes on Him. Some of you tonight are stuck in your boat that you've created. You refuse to come out because of anxiety. Fear has gripped your heart, fear of failure. Fear of what people might think. Fear of what will happen next. Many look at Peter as a failure in this moment. But I see it as a lesson. Look what can happen when we focus on the one that saved us. Sister Haley, Brother Danny, if you'd come. The one that orders our steps, our blueprint in life. If we 
put our trust in him, our possibilities are endless. Did Peter fall? Absolutely. Did Jesus leave him there? No, he did not. Amen? We have hope tonight. If we never get out of the boat, then we will never experience all that God has for us. Does he want us to fall? No, absolutely not. But he's there to catch us if we do. But just like the racehorse, we must condition ourselves to run the race. We have to train ourselves to focus on Christ. There's an old saying that says, keep the main things the main things. Brother Jacob talks about all the time, you know, we, gotta keep our, we must keep our focus on Christ. If we get our minds off of Christ onto people, we're going to get hurt. People will hurt you. People are messy. Things of that, like that. But we must keep our eyes on him. He's who we love. We don't put our hope in anything else. If we will keep Jesus at the front of everything we do, we can walk through spiritual seas. Will the wind be violent? Yes. Will the waves be high? Yes. But if we train ourselves to keep our eyes on him and have faith in his word when he says come, we can make it. In closing tonight, you know, we talked about those racehorses. <clears throat> and if you ever seen a horse, a race horse, or a ra horse race, or anything like that, they have these things over their eyes, these little covers. And they're called blinders. And they force, the ho they force that horse to look straight ahead. It keeps their focus on the task at hand that they do not go astray from the objective. You know, when that horse is running or when that horse is doing a task and it sees everything around it, it may get curious, it may wander off. But that trainer or that farmer or whoever it is driving that horse, he puts those blinders on. He keeps that horse on task. Blinders cover the rear vision, forcing the horse to look only in the forward direction and keeping it track. Tonight, I ask, would you ask the Lord to help you walk with spiritual blinders? Would you, help, would you ask the Lord to help you step out of the boat, but step out with your blinders on? Don't worry about anything else or what's going to happen next or in fear of failing. But if you keep your eyes on Him, He will help you. He will help you go. He will help you do what He's called you to do. He'll help you in this walk. You say, I don't know how to put off the flesh and put on the Spirit every day. I don't know how to walk in the Spirit. The first step is putting our eyes on Him. He's our model. He's what we model our life after. You know, Paul, he, he was aspiring to be like Christ. And that's what we must do in everything that we do. Lord, help us to look at this world through His blinders, through His Word. Let, let Him be the lens. Let Him be the filter in which we process everything. Everything that's going on in the world from politics to economy to work to play to family to sickness and health. Let us filter everything through Christ that we could process how He wants us to process, how He wants us to, to walk or navigate those things. Amen. If, if anything is spoken to you tonight, you say, I, I, I need help.
I'm stuck in a boat. I'm stuck in a rut. I feel like a failure. I feel like I, I can't do anything. I feel like I set out every time and it's always a roller coaster and I'm up and down. And I feel like I can't succeed. I feel like I can't give God my everything. If you say to yourself, I feel like I've got to earn my way back, I want you to come tonight, find you a place to pray. If you're here tonight and you say, I'm scared to step out, I'm scared to go deeper, I'm scared to go further in Christ. I'm scared of what might happen, I'm scared of the fears, I'm, I'm scared of what he's calling me to do. I'm nervous about what's next in life. I'm nervous about this situation or that situation. I want you to come tonight. Find a place to pray. Ask God to help you to step out, to walk in his light, to walk in his love and his grace. Amen.